Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Austin. And I'm Alicia. And this is the Generational Gospel Podcast, where we discuss the gospel and doctrine in order to disciple our family and generations to come. In this episode, we answered the question, if we are free, what are we free to do? Last year, we talked about how Jesus is our substitutionary atonement, which means he paid the price for our sin, which was death as our substitute. The wages of sin is death. In other words, God requires death in order to satisfy his judgment when pe- when people sin. Christ being sinless stood in our place and paid the price when he died on the cross. When he rose again, he displayed victory over death and the grave. And those who believe and have faith in him are now viewed by God as righteous because he sees his son, Jesus, in us. We also talked about how his atonement has set us free. The question is then, if we are free, what are we free to do? Ultimately, Christ's atonement for our sins has set us free to live righteously. Without Christ, our hearts are hardened to the things of God, and our nature is utterly wicked. We cannot and do not seek God. Romans 3, 11 through 12 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Jeremiah 13.23 says, Can the oath Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? They also can do, sorry. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Because our hearts are wicked by nature without Christ, we are destined for hell. And the sufferings, of the second death. Daniel 12:2 says, "And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt." The context in this chapter is talking about the end of days. The important part here is that since we know the wages of sin is death, we know that like Revelation 21:8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those who are wicked, those who are not written in the book of life, those who do not believe and trust in Jesus will suffer from an eternal death or eternal punishment. If we continue to live in unrighteousness, in sin, in the things against the very nature of God, then we will also experience this same end. This is the bad news. Without God, we are slaves to sin and we do not have the freedom to live righteously. The good news, the gospel, is that we are made righteous through Christ. As we previously discussed, Christ is our substitutionary atonement. When he died on the cross, he took our sin with him, and when he rose again, he gave us his righteousness. Therefore, when we trust and believe in Christ, God, the Father, sees his Son, Jesus, in us. 
He no longer sees the sin nature that is within us. When Christ ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to reside in us. The Holy Spirit is our seal and works in us to complete the work of salvation within us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.1-2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to, to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are also so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In Romans 6, verse 20 to 23 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that Christ has saved us, our eyes have been opened. Now that the Holy Spirit resides in us, we are able to pursue righteousness, The spirit within us seeks to please God while our flesh seeks to please ourselves. This is a daily ongoing battle until we reach glorification with Christ. However, because of the Holy Spirit's power, we are able to be made righteous and to live for God and fight the battle against our flesh and the enemy's work against us. Without Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, and then sending the Holy Spirit, we are unable to pursue godliness. We would continue in our sin because only the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to pursue godliness. So let us rejoice in this freedom that we have. Let us not look at God's rules and see this as something that holds us back because it is our freedom to live for him and to know him. Jesus sets the captives free. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. In him we have everlasting life. He is the strength in our weakness. He is our prince of peace. He is our hope when we are hopeless. He is our strong tower when enemies rise against us. Only in Christ do we find freedom. So we just read a lot of scripture and we just talked about how without Christ, without the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, we are dead in our sin. We pursue sinfulness. And then when Christ saves us, He gives us this freedom to live righteously. So why is that important? I think, I think, well, the the simple answer is always obviously that it's the word of God. So like to keep it super simple um, regard. And I think that I I say that, I say that in like a, maybe a more comical way in some ways, but I, I mean it seriously because I think there's a lot of things that I've come across that 
if in generally speaking, I come across something in scripture that's like this, that maybe that is kind of like, you may think, oh, well, I don't really like, I'm a believer. I'm already like doing these things. Like, why do I need to know this? Like, this isn't a struggle of mine. Um, but I feel like all of those things that I've thought those that about have come back at some point relevant. Like the fact that I knew it or learned it and read it was relevant to me for whatever reason. Maybe it's something I'd experienced or something that someone else experienced. But I think specifically when it comes to this topic, I think that understanding, like from, from my perspective, I came, I came a little bit and I, I don't know how much of this affected me, but I, I kind of was raised in a, um, I was raised in the Nazarene church, which is, comes from the holiness movement. They're not near as hardcore as the original holiness movement was, um, but they still have a really high value on holiness, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, and not to get too much into the Nazarene church, but some of, some of that can result in kind of feeling as you sin that, um, I kind of started building on to the fact that I I knew I was a sinner. I felt that I could not be righteous on my own. Um, and that kind of dug me into a deeper and deeper hole of depression and, and things like that. And so like the benefit of understanding this and what this brought for me when I first kind of saw this, I mean, clearly throughout scripture, it's not like this is something that's just in one verse. Like we read a lot of verses um, and there's more there that we just didn't get into, but I think what it means is that you can know and have genuine faith in the fact that that you are unable to be righteous by your own means, um, but but it is only through Christ that we're righteous, and so and in God the Father sees it as such. We are that, like the wages of sin is death, and at the end of the day, we we will not get to heaven. We will not be righteous no matter how long of a life we had. It doesn't matter how long you live, there's nothing, there's there's no amount that you could build up to get the kind of righteousness that Christ provides. Um, I don't think you'd get any righteousness at all, but even the little bit that you may be able to provide, the little good that you could do, doesn't even, it, it, it is not good in the same way that Christ is good. Christ is good in his, in his perfectness. He's never sinned against the Father. He's never done wrong. He never... And I think it's important to, one last thing, say in this little blurb here, but like, I think it's important to understand too that sometimes people can have a misconception about Christ in that when Christ, because Christ was fully God and fully human, that when we say that Christ didn't sin, we think of it like, oh, well, obviously he didn't sin. He was God. I think we have to be a little careful. The hypostatic union, which is the understanding of fully God, fully man, is a complicated topic that I don't want to get into fully tonight, but I think that the thing that's important to understand is that in his full humanity, full humanity means that that he was tempted, like, and tempted is not just kind of like, it was just put in front of him, like he was tempted, as we are tempted, and beyond what we are tempted, um, and he was able to not sin. Again, mm-hmm. it's a complicated thing, that I would love to get into another episode because I don't have enough research in front of me to like really get deep into it. But I think it's understanding that his righteousness and even the righteousness in his humanity, like what he did 
by living the life that he did. Like he could have came and just died on a cross, but what have what would that have meant? It didn't mean anything if he didn't if he didn't. And like who Christ is is not just in his death on the cross for our salvation. Who Christ is is also as our high priest, as our uh, mediator, as our um, as our friend, as our comforter. Like he understands what we went through, not because he kind of like saw it from the outside in. Like he literally was a human, and he. And he's the only one, like, anybody tries to give you advice about anything. It's like, there's always a little bit of hypocrisy in life because, like, in reality, like, we never do anything perfectly. But with Christ, like, how he's telling us to live, he's like, well, he actually did it. He actually lived righteously. And we can kind of, like, ride on the coattails of kind of what Christ did, I guess. That was a long kind of, like, thing there. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, we think of kind of the question of, so... You know, we're talking about how, well, you talked about how we are made righteous by Christ. And I think you kind of even alluded to the point, like in heaven, when those of us who have been saved, when we reach heaven, God will see Christ in us, right? And we will have the righteousness of Christ on us. And so I guess what it made me think about is what does that mean for our lives on earth? Like if when we get to heaven, God's just going to see Christ and he forgives and he has forgotten our sin. Does that mean we can live our life on earth just continue sinning, doing whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want to. And then also, well, I guess I'll, I'll follow up with a question after you touch on that. Yeah. I mean, the simple answer is no, like we can't like, so I I think the title of this is kind of like, without knowing the topic, it seems kind of like a weird title. We are free to live righteously. Like, what does that mean? But I think that that's an important aspect. Yeah. We are free to live righteously. We are not free to live in unrighteousness. Right. And so, um, when when we are saved, and when when Christ covers us, when 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 we are given righteousness through Christ, um, we are also given a new heart, which is a really important thing. We are given a uh, a new heart. We are made a new creation, and that's not simply that he just kind of changed our mind. And I don't even think it's as simple as opening our eyes. I think that even opening our eyes can simply, I think that's part of it, but I think it can simplify it a little bit because I think like, especially when you look at like John three, um, John three talks a lot about like, or um, when you look at the, you know, the conversation with Nicodemus um, and I actually had to do a lot of study for this because I did a sermon on this, but, but when he was talking to Nicodemus and talking about this, new creation this weird thing the the thing that's that really stands out to me in that passage is that he makes it really clear that this is like you are a new creation this is not simply that you just stop doing what you do or like um charles spurgeon says in his all of grace book he's he gives the example of like um trying to teach a swine how to clean itself like a cat does um you know cats clean themselves like profusely um, some more than others, but the point is, is like, that's just a natural thing that they do. It's part of their nature. It's what they do. That's muscle memory for them. They clean themselves. Um, pigs don't do that. 
or, or, or swining is how we reference them, but same thing. They don't do that kind of thing. And um, like the only way you can genuinely, the only way you can make the nature, like make it a muscle member, make it a nature thing for the swine, for them to actually clean themselves is to make them a cat. And that, that's what he references when he references the new creation or he references what it means to be a new creation. It's that we are not simply trained dogs or trained swine to clean ourselves or to live in a way where we're actively living clean. We are actually transformed into, I don't want to say that being a Christian means you're a cat. I just, because <laughs> I'm not a big fan of cats myself. But the, the <laughs> But the idea is that like, we were transformed. And so a mark of a true believer is a is the fact that you are living um, to be like Christ. Like we talk about, you know, live like Christ did, you know, or the whole, what would Jesus do? Which is like obviously blown away. Like people don't really use that for, to actually mean like, what would Jesus actually do? A lot of times people don't say that. But point is, is that like when we're being free to live righteously, means that we continue to sin less overall. Yeah. And Does I that think, answer like what yeah, you're trying that, to Yeah, that, that answers my question. And I think, too, the key that we're trying to make with the we are free to live righteous is that we are now able to live righteous, right? And that's kind of what you're talking true, about. Yeah. Like our our nature has been transformed to now we are actually able to live for Christ before without Christ where we are unable to do that. Um, but it also makes me think about like, so what does it mean? Like when Christians do sin, because we know that that still happens. I mean, you see it even like Paul is talking about it in one of the verses that we shared where he says like, um, he desires to do good yeah, Romans seven, eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Like when we have this battle between like, okay, I really want to do something good for God, and sometimes like you lose that battle, and you're not, and you end up not doing that good. Does that mean that you you weren't saved? Yeah, I think. This is a complicated issue because I think I still have moments where I struggle with the understanding of it. I think scripture is really clear on that fact that although we are made a new creation, um, we are not perfected. We're not fully glorified, as we may say. Um, we're still in our sanctification process, which is you know the constant state of renewal, um, the constant state of of sinning less. I think like I think overall, like in being a believer and being sanctified, you will over time sin less. I think like with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, I think that will happen. Now, what level that is, is is not something we can really measure, but I think it's a complicated issue because I think that I just talked about being a new creation as this thing like where you're transformed, right? Um, which I think is true, but um, we still do deal with the flesh. Why that is the case I think comes down to um, while we're in these these bodies, like we, and I think it k- kind of comes down to like what we do in the body is important, and that's a whole other thing. But I think part of that is that like in our human bodies, 
we still bear some of the nature that we were already given. We're no it in being made a new creation, it is our spirit that is changed. Right? There, like we we gain this Holy Spirit, we gain righteousness in that, but we still have the flesh. We still have and in scripture is very clear throughout the New Testament about that. Like our our flesh is still there. We still have fleshly desires. There are still things and temptations and sins that we fall into. And especially if even Paul is talking about this in Romans, like talking about the fact that he still sins, he still has struggles. Um, there's other parts of uh, the epistles that talk about the thorn in Paul's side. Uh, we don't know exactly what that is, but the idea was that there was something that he struggled with um, that was that he continued, even, even through prayer, that God would take it away. He continued to bear it. And so, I don't know, I guess I want to know what your thoughts are, because I think like it's a complicated issue but the idea is that it's both and like we're both made a new creation but we are not perfected yet in our in our new bodies yeah i I think you yeah i think that's that's actually a really good response there um yeah you mentioned glorification and so what we believe with glorification is once you get to have like so we believe the steps of salvation are you're justified right so at the moment of salvation at the moment where you have been transformed like at the moment of salvation you are already justified by christ so when if you were to die in that moment you would reach heaven and like you had been justified by what because of what christ has done god will see you as righteous um and then we have this process of sanctification which you mentioned is so like as we're living through life from that moment where you have been justified and your heart is transformed until the day you die, you're going through this process of, of change. Like where you, you kind of refer to it as you begin to sin less. And I think it's more so like, yes, you begin to sin less, but I think it's also because you're continuously being cleansed by the Holy spirit you're continuously being renewed. You're continuously being challenged. Um, and you have to go through this process of repentance and ac- accepting God's forgiveness and moving forward. And then when we die and we reach heaven, then we become glorified. And that's when we talk about how at the end of days, there will be no more mourning, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more death. And that is went with through glorification. And so I think to kind of go back to answering my question, like, okay, if you're a Christian and you have been saved by Christ, but you sin, does that mean that you weren't saved or you're not saved? I think the the answer plainly is no, like, yes, you were saved. Um, I think the big difference too is kind of how you, how you respond to that sin is it something that you just freely do? You have no, um, like, repentance toward. You have no desire to change that practice of sinning, like First John talks about. Right, and you're just constantly doing the same sin. You know it's wrong, and you don't care that it's wrong. Then maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't transformed you because the Holy Spirit will convict you. And if you're feeling conviction, then I believe that. God is 
trying to sanctify you in that moment. And he's trying to help you stop doing that. But I think that can still be a lifelong journey until you reach for full glorification of, but having that practice of repentance and turning towards God and trying your best to eliminate whatever things in your life are causing you to fall into that same pattern. And I think, so something I want to mention too, that just kind of came to my mind, but is I think important is that like when you're dealing with this issue, um, I think you want to be careful not to say that like, Oh, I just lost my train of thought, man. Like, so when you're dealing with the issue of like, you know, obviously God has the power if he wanted to, at the moment of your salvation to, you know, boom, go to heaven. Like, obviously he has the power to do that. Like if he desired to do that, but obviously he didn't do that. And it was important for his plan that he didn't. I think that one thing to say is that when you're, living in repentance, living a repentant life, um, you are, one, you are growing, I think, to love God more. There's one thing. Um, I think you're going to know him more. Um, and, um, and you're able to worship him more as, as you, because part of, like, for me personally, and this is a, a bit of conjecture, a bit of, like, my opinion, like, when, when I sin and I repent of that sin, I, and this isn't a thing to say you should go and sin so you can feel this. It's not the point, but that when I, when I do repent and when I do grow from that, like I feel as if like I appreciate the cross even more in those moments because of the fact that I understand that I am a sinner. I am unworthy of whatever Christ is to give. Um, and, death on a cross for my sake is not something that's I'm worthy of. And so in our sin, we do realize that more. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason that God chose to do it this way, but I think like we do see throughout scripture, old, new Testament, whatever, that God wants participation. He wants us to be a part of his, of his story, a part of what he's doing. And I think a part of that is, is living, um, in the, the, now you know being aliens in in this in this land but you know our real home is with christ in heaven i think like as we live this life like we are there is an element of where we are choosing not to sin right like i think that's a i think that's a powerful thing that like when like we will continue to sin and and to say that at salvation or that there's any point and i say i feel very strongly about this i think the word is very clear about this i don't think there's any point in your life on this earth that you will cease to sin um and i think that you have to be very careful about that and i think there are definitely groups that believe that but i don't think scripture teaches that um and so you have to be careful not to say that but i think that like as you live in this life and you, you're pursuing the righteousness of Christ. You're pursuing to live like Christ. You're pursuing to, to sin less. 
Um, and it's, it is work. I mean, faith without works is dead. Like James talks about, like we are this, this walk as a believer is not just a, you know, Hey, here's the gift of grace. Um, and I don't want you to do anything about it. Um, again, God could have done that, but he chose, like he could have done that, but he chose not to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, what you were just saying just made me think of uh, this verse in First John chapter 1, starting with verse 8. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he, he and is talking about God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, like, I think that's a perfect verse to, to remind us that on this earth, we're still going to be like, we still have sin within us and we are so blessed to have a God who loves us so much that he continuously forgives us. But it says, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I think confession is important, like we were talking about. Repentance is important, like turning to God and away from our sin um, is still important. Um, so I agree, and I think we've hit a lot of good things, but one thing I... I it's a bit of a transition, but it's a question yeah. I have for you, which is um, well, a statement and then a question. So we we want, be, with this change of the podcast and with a, us changing the way we're doing this, a big part of that is that we see a need that, not to say that we think we can fill, but we think that should be filled. And I think that the gospel warrants it, which is the generational element of that, that this is that we aren't living in a space where, um, you know, and this happens generation to generation, but we always think that we're the last generation, which Christ did say that we won't know the time or place. We could be the last generation, but we don't know that. And I think to live as if we were, I think it's, it's living as if we were, but also that we knowing that we might not be, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we do want to share the gospel. We do want to share um, the truth of Christ to all people, but the easiest place to do that is with our children, is with our families. And so, like, my question with that, um, and we're calling this kind of the generational application, but my question would be, how in the world do I talk about this with my kids? So, in our case, our daughter is two years old. <laughs> so, and she's um, a genius. <laughs> I mean, she is pretty genius, but... Um, talking to her about godly things or the, or about scripture in general, talking to her about anything for more than like two minutes is very difficult. But I think the easiest way to talk to her about these things is to simply do that, right? To actually have times throughout the day, not, not just like let's sit down for 30 minutes and have a lecture on this because you know, her attention span is very short, 
but to talk to her about what Christ has done and what that means for us and even um, and just finding practical ways to apply it to her. So like, you know, when we talk about, okay, God has given us the freedom to live righteously. Well, what does that mean to a two-year-old, right? Well, God has given her the freedom to make a good choice, right? And so when she's on the brink of making a bad choice, maybe that is snatching toys from her cousins or like um, pushing other friends away or um, just deciding to ignore mommy and daddy and do whatever it is she wants to do at that moment, like teaching her in those moments to take a step back and remember like, you know, hey, let's praise God that he's given us the opportunity to make a good choice. Um, what would that good choice be right now? And talking us through that. And then as kids get older and they can have, they have more of an intention span, you can actually teach exactly what the scripture says and then still have those teachable moments throughout the day. So when they are coming up against maybe a more important life choice, especially as they become teenagers and whatnot, you can remind them of the truths of the gospel um, and help them to rely on Christ and to think otherwise. Yeah. And I think like another practical thing on that, that made me think of too, is that um, especially at this age where, expecting a two-year-old to really understand these things i mean we barely understand these things as adults Mm -hmm. so like now don't hear me wrong i think children can understand right Mm -hmm. and i think that it's a challenge that all of us are going to face and i don't think anybody does it perfectly um but one thing too that i think is a really it's something to think about and be encouraged by is that we also can teach by repetition and mm-hmm. by memory yeah. because we we know scientifically when it comes to children children absorb 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 and so like one thing for us with august like and it's something i had to figure out really early on is that because like we want to read scripture with her but let's be real like she may say she wants to read the bible and i think she enjoys that time but at the same time like if, the, if it's if that verse is longer than a than a sentence or like three words, like she's gone and she's running around, <laughs> she's doing whatever. Um, and I think it's in and that's just their attention spans. I mean, yeah. it it, but be encouraged that like, I mean, just like everything else, they hear they hear what's going on, they hear what you're saying, and they hear what you're how you're doing things, and they see how you're doing things, and you see that in other ways. Mm-hmm. In the same way, it happens with the Word of God, and I think that the more they hear it when they do approach those things, especially as they get older, even as children, they may approach things and we can bring back in the light of something that we might've said for, you know, years as they were little and it can kind of like, then it just clicks in a different way. So now it's really absorbed, like really kind of like stuff, the sponge full of, of, of good information, but it's too. um, And you can also teach, like you said, you can also teach, them in different ways but yeah i think the teaching in in the moments you know you call teachable moments uh it just reinforces the idea and so i really like what you're saying about just being in repetition of reading scripture and even reading specific scriptures um for us we do not like to 
necessarily read like a children's Bible that's been rewritten specifically for children or, you know, just do like a picture book Bible or something like that because we want August to hear the word. So we know for a fact that she's not going to understand all the words that we're reading, right? But we want her to hear them. And as she hears them and rehears them and rehears them, like Austin's talking about, like it's going to connect later on in life. And as we apply whatever we've been reading in different ways, she'll be able to connect the dots. Um, And so I think that's important too. Like don't just avoid reading scripture to little ones because you might think, oh, they're not going to understand what I'm saying anyways. Um, their, Their minds are still digesting it. And ultimately the Holy Spirit does the work of teaching us and revealing us. And the Holy Spirit can do that in little children as well. Yeah. And I mean, just think even about like, I mean, I have many instances where I remember a grandfather or, or, you know, a family member saying some weird saying that at the time made absolutely no sense to me. Um, and they may have said it even one time or like, it was just something that I repeatedly said about situations. And then you become an adult and like, it just hits you one time and you're just like, man, that's what he was talking about. Or like you start yeah. to repeat it to your own right, kids right. in the same way, like why we should do that with scripture. And I think like you, I'm the type of guy that I tend to be very like, I want to really um, be super true to scripture, which I think is important, but sometimes it's hard for me to want to even like, I'm not a big like making rhymes and like making mm-hmm. different things like that. But I think that like, I've learned that like, I think those types of things, as long as you say true to what the scripture is talking about, I think you do it alongside. You don't, right. you don't neglect the reading of God's word. The Bible is very clear about that. Don't neglect the reading of God's word. Don't re- neglect um, coming together um, in worship and don't, don't neglect these things. But, um, but you can just like a pastor does, a pastor takes a passage of scripture and their job is to help the congregation to walk, to give tools and practical things to walk in what the scripture is saying, because we all have the same word of God. Like right. if it was just about reading, then what would be the point of pastors? What would be the point right. of these things? In the same way, we shepherd our children help to help them to understand how to walk in in righteousness and understanding too like your the the reality of it is that your children are not automatically saved because you're saved mm-hmm. and that's a hard reality but it should also wake you up to realize that you have to do the work of the gospel of sharing the gospel with them and sharing the truth of Christ with them yeah um just because they grew up in it we've seen plenty of kids who have gone away from church because they just, they didn't know God. And and there's no guarantee in scripture that your children will be believers, that they will follow Christ, that they are chosen sons and daughters of, of God. We, we have, we have no way to know that for sure. But what we do see in like the Psalms and in, I think in the Proverbs, it talks about um, that there is an element of where parents and families are blessed by continued um pursuit of righteousness but also continued um dedication to to raising up children after god's own heart Mm -hmm. and so like to and i think like 
one thing I heard one pastor say, and then we can kind of um, come to a, you know, kind of finish out our points here. But one thing I heard a pastor say one time was when he was talking about, he was actually talking more about like uh, pastors uh, and um, qualifications. Um, But he kind of talked about like, you know, the qualification for a pastor for half believing children right there. That's a kind of a hot topic um, for a lot of people to try to understand. But I think that one thing he talked about, which I really like just in general is, you know, with any family is that it isn't that, you know, and that you make sure that your children are followers of Christ. Because if you try to do that, you won't succeed. There is no way for you to be sure of that. And there's no way that, and there's nothing that you can do to make that happen any, like to happen. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But what he says is that like, that a, a children, the children of a pastor, or even really, this is for any believer, but the children of a, of a strong believer who follows Christ, like they should also desire like to do those things. Like if, if your children have, like if your child is four years old and, and they genuinely hate God, they want nothing to do with God. Now there's going to be moments. So don't get me wrong. There's going to be moments where your kids are going to, you know, whatever. But if, if there's like just genuine like like atheistic like in your child like I think it's something to at least not to say that it's your fault because I I don't believe that to be true but I think that it's you need like that's part of like when you raise children up in anything like if you raise your children to to sit up straight at the table like if you're super traditional or whatever like if you you know hey like you teach them that eating together at dinner is a priority and is an important thing they're also going to believe that it's an important thing if you te- yeah. if you teach them that knowing God is an important thing, they're going to believe that it's an important thing. Up to a point, I think there will be a point. Yeah, they until don't they start making their their own decisions. Yeah, but I think like you should be like like August, for example, like she, like I know that, like I don't even think she's at a point in her own life where she could genuinely make a profession of faith that she tr- genuinely understands in this particular moment at two years old. Yeah, like. I don't think, I think you can be very young. I just think August is specifically not there yet. But I think that, like, she does say, you know, I believe she does generally know who Jesus is, and that, or at least that Jesus is important and that reading well, the Bible yeah, is important. She's like at least excited about, like, things about God. Like yeah. And she going well, to church and reading the Bible and praying and yeah. things like that. And so I guess it sounds like kind of what you were talking about is like, if you have especially really young children who just hate those things, it'd be a, it's a good time to take a step back and evaluate how are you including them with those things? Is it something that you're like, you have to do this or, and and it's kind of like fear based or like it's something that maybe there's even hurt or something there for them that makes them kind of hate those things. Or I mean, or if, and if they are excited about it, like, is it just something because you guys can do that as a family and it's fun for them and they enjoy the time and it's, and again, I think every child's different. I think some kids can just have more of a, like a rebellious propensity to just yeah, like, of course. I don't like anything my family does, no matter like what age that might be at. So, but I um, think you, I think too, like something to look at is like, a lot of times your kids reflect you. And so is their response of like, 
like pushing away from the gospel, pushing away from God, is that also how you maybe subconsciously are responding to those things? Like, are you constantly like burdened by, by going to church at all? Are you constantly burdened when like, oh, well, I got to read the scripture today. Like, are you burdened? Like, oh, like we got to get our prayers in. Like, is it, is this something that you desire? Because your kids will naturally tend to desire the things that you desire. And, and like you said, there's, there's exceptions to that, but I think there's just, at least if you're seeing that in your children, it isn't to say, well, you failed as a parent. It's just to say, Hey, let's evaluate. This is an important thing. Like, yeah. You just talk, you just have to think about, okay, why is this really happening in them? And it may not be you. It yeah. could be other influences in their lives. It could be just them really, or, you know, you never know. It could be people at church or wherever. So yeah. it's always a good, um, thing to do to just evaluate like why your children are responding the way that they do yeah and i think just as a my final point if you've had anything else to share after that as well my final point in encouragement is um when it comes to our children and it comes to the topic specifically like we've talked about with um with living righteously i think we need to to work to to make it clear to our children what this means. I think teaching is, is just something you're going to have to learn as a parent. I think as parents, we learn to teach in different ways, and everybody does it differently. I'm not going to claim that there's a specific way to do it that's better and than And every another. child needs differently. Every child needs different types of discipline, different types of communication methods. Like, there's just every kid learns differently and communicates differently. Um, so there's an encouragement in that. But know that at the end of the day, we need to teach our children this. I, I don't care how you do it. I don't care in which way necessarily that you approach this with your children um, and how often, but not just this truth, but all truths of scripture. The important thing to get away from it is that we need to do it. We need to teach them. And like we've talked about with this whole generational gospel thing, like it in some ways your family is the easiest place to start when it comes to sharing the gospel, but in other ways it is the hardest place to start. Place to start, um, but it is a really important one. And believers who come through generational gospel presence in families tend to be, and this is just what I've seen. It isn't to say that it's biblically that this is how it'll be, um, and there's no guarantees in this. But families who pursue that. I have seen the fruit of strong and confident believers and followers of Christ who have who have come in and been raised in those scenarios because they've been raised to know the word, to follow the word, and they've had examples in their own family like to follow that and see what that looks like. So be an example to your kids, um, teach them, but also be encouraged that um, you will you might hear your children especially if you haven't been doing this, just realize, especially when starting something new with kids, kids like routines, and it, they may tell you, dad, why are we doing this? I don't want to do this. Or mom, why, why are we doing this? I don't want, I don't want to talk about God. I want to go play. I want to go do this. I don't want to watch this, you know, worship video or whatever. I want to, I want to go watch uh Coco melon or something like they're just they're You're going to get some pushback, but also realize the benefit last thing i promise <laughs> the benefit of this ministry ground is that 
um, your your children don't really have much of a choice but to hear you for about 18 years. Um, you know, and so you don't get that kind of opportunity with anybody else. As an adult, you will not get that kind of opportunity where you can just pour into them. Whether they respond when they when they when they grow up is not up to you. That's up to Christ or up to the Holy Spirit. But you have so much opportunity because you could completely botch a conversation about the gospel. You just honestly just like got nervous or you were angry, completely ruined it. But guess what? When you wake up tomorrow, they're still going to be in that in in the in the room, and they're still going to wake up. You're still going to have breakfast, and you're going to have lunch, dinner, whatever. You're still going to be there to have those conversations again. And kids are sponges, but kids also like tend to, they remember a lot of things, but they also forget things. Like as you build, build good habits, the good will outshadow the bad a lot of times. So. Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess just as a reminder, um, our main topic that we talked about today is that we are free to live righteously with that really meaning that we're able because of Christ's work in our lives to be righteous and to live for him. So as you go on with the rest of your day, night, whatever time it is for you, just, just praise God that he has given us that ability to, to serve him and to love him and to teach our children to do the same. We want to remind you that we can only speak on these things because of the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. We are not perfect in ourselves, but we are made new creations through him, and this is how we are able to live out his calling on our lives. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes or our website, generationalgospel.com. And if you like what you heard, click to subscribe and follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support us, consider buying us a coffee. The link is in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram at Generational Gospel for updates and encouragement. If you have any questions you want us to answer or topics you want us to talk about, email us at info at generationalgospel.com. Thanks again for listening to the Generational Gospel podcast. Catch you in the next episode. See ya.